Welcome to episode 269 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. And you're here for another episode. See, I just kept talking that time so that you couldn't pause forever. And then you pause forever. Okay. (laughs) Oh, come on. You fed that to me. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Welcome to another episode. How are you doing this week, Marshall? I'm doing good, man. I'm looking forward to you coming back here, being back in the States and recording in the same city. Yeah, I'll be back on Tuesday. Do you? Uh, what, what do you have planned for the rest of your travels? Anything monumental? Uh, we're basically done. I'm currently in Kyoto. I depart Kyoto tomorrow, back to Tokyo for for the final night, and then fly out of Tokyo on Tuesday. So that's the update. And so I'll be back next week, and and listeners can. I don't know that it's actually going to change the audio quality for us for me to be back in SF. Perhaps a small bit of latency, but yeah. I think the latency will cut down, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I miss your face, Brian. I know. All right, well, that's our 269 intro warm-up. Uh, should we get into the show? Sure. Before we do, we don't have sponsors this week, but yeah. we want to call out... Take your finger off of that fast-forward button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, do not skip, uh, do not pass go, do not uh, collect... <laughs> collect $200. Two minutes of your time. But I did want to call out, we have a uh, job board on the SpecFM website, which I don't think we've talked about. We just launched it kind of quietly a few weeks ago, uh, but we've had some companies posting jobs. And uh, so if you are listening and are looking for a job, we have uh, a job board up at spec.fm slash jobs. Or if you work at a company or or, uh, own a company and you're hiring for designers or developers, uh, we have that job board that you can list a job for. I think it's like a hundred bucks for 30 days. So it's pretty cheap as far as job boards go. Uh, so if you want some more exposure for your hiring and, and, and roles, uh, this would be a super great way to support spec FM and also to get those jobs in front of other designers and developers. Uh, I guess it's probably worth noting, uh, we can call out a specific one. So visual supply company, this is hiring a senior product designer. Well, it stands for something. Isn't it Visual Supply Co. Company? Probably. I didn't know. I just thought it was just a weird collection of letters because it's the internet and all the names are taken. So you just pick four letters and go, that's what our name is. They're hiring a senior product designer. Senior every day. There you go. That's what I'm here for. That job listing is at spec.fm slash jobs. Uh, so yeah, no no sponsors. So we can get straight into episode 269, Marshall. So we got a little bit of follow-up to uh, to start with here. Uh, if you're listening last episode, I mentioned the Shadow of the Tomb Raider's uh, difficulty settings and how you can choose based on combat and puzzles and exploration. You can change different difficulties for each of those things instead of one overall difficulty. And no sooner than a couple days later... I was watching the YouTubes and a channel that I've mentioned before on, maybe I haven't mentioned it on the show. I think I put it in the show notes for the travel edition episode, but there's a channel on YouTube called Game Makers Toolkit. And uh, this guy does amazing reviews and analyses of game design and designing for specific types of gamers. He's in the middle of a series right now called Designing for Disability, and I think he's on the third episode. Uh, It's called Making Games Better for Players with Motor Disabilities, and he talks about difficulty settings in this thing, and one of the games that he mentioned specifically is Shadow of the Tomb Raider for exactly that reason. So um, I'll link that in the show notes, but uh, I just thought it was interesting that the thing I noticed was called out by one of my favorite creators uh, a couple days later. It's like, ah, 
I noticed an important thing, and I said it aloud. <laughs> or perhaps he's listening to the show. Maybe he's <laughs> yeah, a huge I'm fan sure of you, he's Marshall. A huge fan. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, cool. There can be no other way. Uh, so yeah, I just want to call that out. Uh, another thing that I wanted to mention is this is totally unrelated to that, but um, <laughs> we had talked about the Apple Watch a few episodes ago, and I got the new uh, Series Four, and I'm on Watch OS Five. Obviously, that's it comes in the box. And one of the things I noticed is I was on my modular face, I believe. I, have, I yep. use several faces uh, for different reasons. And I went to do a thing that I always used to do when I used this face more frequently before I switched to like the Siri face, which was turn the digital crown to use time travel. And in watchOS 5, apparently, I found out they got rid of time travel, which is the ability to kind of... Um, turn the crown and affect the time and see into the future to see what your meetings coming up were or what your battery level would be. Basically, complications could recognize that, that uh, there was time being changed and, and show their future state or their past state. And mm -hmm. it was something I used all the time to check for meetings, and now it's gone, and it makes me sad. Have you noticed that? Did you ever use that, Brian? Never used it, never noticed it, never thought about it. I'm having a hard time even thinking know about of the a future? use case. I, I remember it from an Apple event. I think the only mm -hmm. use case I remember was like fast forwarding to see what meetings you have coming up. But like, what else would be useful yeah. there? I think they also mentioned uh, like charging your car, you know, as we all do. I see. <laughs> the the <laughs> ah, most yes. common of use the, cases. The car I charge and, and most <laughs> yeah. uh, watch owners. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm juicing up my BMW, <laughs> I always check my Apple Watch. Uh, yeah. I think there's, there's, that might, be why they didn't include it is because there weren't a whole lot of use cases for it and it was a lot of maintenance but yeah i was sad to see it go and i don't think it's coming back and it kind of sucks because now there's this unused gesture essentially when you're on your home face that uh, if you're not on a, a face that that actually recognizes the scrolling or anything like that to, d to do something with that digital scroll wheel like you sorry digital crown uh it's just nothing. You you scroll it, you turn it, it does nothing, and it feels hmm. weird. It does seem like a, a missed opportunity for like one of the two physical pieces of interaction on the the watch to not do something on the the sort of like primary surface. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, three, right? You can turn the th you can turn the digital crown. You can press the digital crown, and you can press the side button. But that's it. Yeah, that's right. it. There's. Just three physical buttons. You can also double the press the side button. You can also press and hold both buttons <laughs> at the same time for a screenshot and probably. Uh, doesn't that turn it off? Oh no, a jillion that, other combinations. Click. I forget. I don't know, man. Time travel is gone, so maybe maybe they'll replace that with something in the future. We'll see. I don't know. That'd be interesting. I, I wonder what they could replace it with. What would fit with that? Because it couldn't be universal, right? It would have to be it, because on like the Siri Watch face or other faces, you can scroll through stuff. Yeah, it'd be face. Face contextual, right? Yeah. It would have to ID the face. You can mm -hmm. call it face ID. <laughs> oh, uh, nice. It's taken. So it's taken. Damn. What's next? Uh, we have one last bit of follow-up. Uh, we got a new iTunes review, Marshall. We got a five-star review from UX Origami on October 13th, 2018. It's a good name. It's a five-star review. Feeling pretty excited about that. And they said the, uh, the show is helpful. And uh, they, they told people who read reviews to unsubscribe from other design podcasts and subscribe to this one. So that's nice. Wow. Zero sum game with the, with the design podcast. <laughs> there can only be one. So for folks listening, we, we like to ask for iTunes reviews. Uh, those are helpful. They make us feel good when they're good. 
when they give when you give us five stars. Uh, but we do appreciate those, and they help iTunes know that you're listening, and helps new people uh, just like you discover the show. So if you've been enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate iTunes reviews. And I'm gonna start checking for those each week, so we can call out people who are leaving reviews. So thanks, UX Origami. Sweet. Whoever you are, wherever you may be. You're too kind. But just the right amount of kind at the same time. <laughs> so thank you. Kind enough. Five stars kind. All right. That's follow-up. We've got some news as well this week. Google+, Plus, the beloved social network of our generation, is shutting down. <laughs> is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the social communications platform that the world came to to love and and mm-hmm. connect with family and friends on 40 times per day uh yeah it's shutting down it's a huge surprise to most people all right i'll, I'll tone down the sarcasm uh google plus is <laughs> shutting down and the one thing i wanted to call out here is uh morgan knutson uh hard k there is tweeting he's airing his laundry on on the twits and he is uh currently like i don't know 50 tweets into i think it's going to be a multi-day possibly multi-week tweet storm talking about his experience working at Google+. The reason I call it this tweet storm is not to bash Google. Uh, obviously, it's a huge company and there's lots of stuff going on at all big companies, at all companies of any size that are, are, are good and bad. But I think Morgan's tweet storm has been interesting because there are lots of lessons embedded within it that I think are especially relevant to people who perhaps from the outside think of working at a, a big company like a Google or a Facebook as sort of this like utopia or this heaven or this like the big leagues and i think morgan has kind of cast i don't know the right word here tries i think to poke holes in that naive way of looking at these jobs and he's sort of telling his story uh, of what happened when he started working at google plus and, and again we're only halfway through the tweet storm and so i don't know the full story here but we'll have a link to that in the show notes and i think the the tweet storms worth following along so one of the lessons that i took away was you know how how to maybe not look at working at big companies so naively And then the second was he talked about how he approached negotiating with Google, which is to say he did not negotiate with Google when he joined and uh, called out, you know, you have to negotiate. This is a a business arrangement for, for the business and for you. And as, you know, as good as it feels to have a company like Google want to hire you, that doesn't mean you should just take their first offer, uh, especially if they've pride and they, they know how much you made at your previous job and they're, they've, you know, figured out how to, if possible, lowball you. So anyways, he calls those out in the tweet storm. I don't know if you, if you've read along or, or followed this Marshall. Yeah, uh, I have. Morgan is a good friend of mine. Uh, I can't really talk about it, obviously, sure. but yep. yeah, like you mentioned, I think there's some really good nuggets in there as far as like, like you mentioned the negotiation. My, my first job out of college, I didn't negotiate at all. I, I was given a number and that number was three times larger than I'd ever made in a year. And I said, yes, <laughs> take me, please. <laughs> That's probably not a, not a bad thing to do if it's three times. It's a good job. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I was at like straight out of college. So I had like three side jobs and I was in this in school <laughs> trying to graduate and everything. So like, you know, I wasn't making a ton of money because I wasn't spending my entire time doing it, but I did have, you know, several side gigs to try and, you know, feed myself and stay sheltered. But yeah, I didn't negotiate at all. And I wonder what would have happened if I had tried. But it was one of those things like, okay, I, I didn't have any other prospects at the moment. And it was like, yes, fine, whatever, just pay me every month, and we're good. And so when I when I went to Google, eight years later, I stayed at that same company for eight years, it was a good gig. And when I went to Google, 
I did negotiate. I had learned from, from that experience. I learned that lesson and I did negotiate, although they kind of highballed me. <laughs> That's like, okay. Yeah. It was like way more than I was making at the time. I don't know if they knew what I was making. I can't remember if I told them or if they asked or if it was even in the air, but yeah, they, it was again, more money than I thought I'd ever make when I was a kid. And and even then, it was a lot more than I was making at the time. Although San Francisco, living in San Francisco, is like super high cost of living. So it's kind right. of, I, I actually might have taken a relative pay cut. I'm not sure. But but I, I did negotiate on some of my moving expenses because I was moving halfway across the country from Chicago. And I negotiated my percentage a little bit of my, my stock and how much I would uh, get with bonuses. So I was able to move those numbers a little bit, but they were kind of unbudging a little bit. Um, but I think it was also because they highballed me from the beginning. So there wasn't a whole lot of room to move up to the ceiling. I see. I see. How about you? So my, my first gig was at Buffer and they had fully transparent salaries and fully transparent equity. So when you join the company, you know exactly how much you're going to make and exactly how much equity you get. And as a result, there's no need to negotiate, which... I think is a good thing because uh, in general, I think Buffer pays pretty well relative to sort of market value, especially in, in different locations outside of SF. But what was interesting is was going from that transparent environment to Facebook. So when I was negotiating uh, at, at Facebook, they asked, you know, how, how much did you make at your previous job? How much equity did you have? Which, by the way, folks, is now illegal. Like uh, companies in California cannot do that. Or if they do, you, are, you can legally you know, protect that information. You don't have to disclose how much money you made at a previous job. Yeah, I think uh, Tyler Galpin called that out. Right, right. But I did because I figured, oh, certainly if they're looking at my portfolio, they can just look up Buffer and then they'll find that Buffer is a transparent company and then they'll figure out that there's transparent salaries and equity. Like certainly they'll do all this research. <laughs> so anyways, like there's no use in hiding it, no use in, in lying about it. So I just told them and lo and behold, the offer I got back was, you know, marginally higher on, on both the salary and equity front, which uh, was fine as far as negotiation. I, I don't know how to do it and I don't, I'm not sure exactly how to approach it strategically, but the one thing that I did do at the very end before I said yes was I just said the words, is there anything you can do about the equity? I think that was all I said. And they came back and they're like, yeah, sure, here's, uh, I don't know, 10K more or something like that. Yep. Which in the grand scheme of things is is not much, but for uh, you know the five words to, to dollar ratio, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, pretty good uh, <laughs> ROI on those words pretty there. Good ROI on can you do anything about the equity? Which I, I think is a kind of a safe thing to say. I, I feel like the fear there is, you know, you're going to say, is there anything you can do about the salary or, or the equity is not quite in the range I'm looking for? And the fear is that the company is just going to go, oh, you want more money? Well, we're rescinding this offer. No, yeah, thank fuck you. It. It's off. <laughs> we've put. We've already invested ten thousand dollars into this interview process. We're done. <laughs> or at the very least, you'll start off. They'll they'll say no, but you'll start off your relationship on a bad note. Yeah. Like, right. Okay. No, we're not going to give you that. We'll give you the number we said we'd give you, but we still want to hire you. Okay. Welcome on. And then there's this, you know, kind of cloud hanging over. I, I think that is kind of valid uh, certainly in the startup world right like at a smaller company especially if you're joining really early and potentially you're making more than the founders like yeah i don't know i think that would feel kind of weird like you got to go in with that context um mm -hmm. and i don't know my impression is at at a place like facebook is 
it would be hard to start off on a bad foot because you go through the entire process sort of, you know, with recruiters and, and hiring managers and you're not actually ever negotiating with your future manager, your future teammates. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody that I ever talked to about that stuff was, I don't know if I've ever seen them again or talked to them again. So <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, there's no, but if you're in a small startup, like you said, or if you're in a small company that you might actually see those people. Yeah, there can be that fear. I, I mean, for me, I'm... I'm terrible at negotiation. I hate bartering. I hate like haggling. It's one of my least favorite things to do, partially because I'm not good at it, partially also because <laughs> I'm I'm usually the one to, in any given situation in life, I'm, I'm usually the one to be like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll, I'll be fine. Right. Which is not good when you're talking about, you know, your future livelihood. But yeah, I'm not good at it. Yeah. I, I wish I had more concrete tips on negotiation. Perhaps this is something that we could talk about more in depth in the future if we had more resources and, and more stories from other people. As far as I know, though, and, and anecdotally from conversations like this with you and with other friends is a lot of people are uncomfortable with it and most people tend to skip it. I think especially younger folks like I was coming out of college, being a few years into the, their career, and you hear numbers, especially in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, that you're like, oh, that's a big number. Like, I don't, I don't want to jinx it you know mm -hmm. so you just take it and uh lo and behold six months later you're at a bar with a coworker, and you find out they make more than you or got a crazy different equity offer and then then things feel like shit you feel like you got screwed this is something i very much take into account with my direct reports like you know you hear about pay inequality and you know people it's part of the culture you don't talk about how much money you make but that means that some people could be getting screwed while others are prospering and neither know about it. And, you know, the person who's making more money might actually have a problem with the fact they're making more money than this other person. And, but because we don't talk about it, uh, nobody ever finds out. So, but the one thing I can control, I can't control all of that at a company level, but I can control my direct reports and make sure that it's fair there. And if everybody did that, then it wouldn't be a problem. Why can't the world be, you know, just a mm -hmm. little more fair? <laughs> Go figure, if everybody pitched in and did the right thing, the world would get better, but that's not the world we live in, so affect your affect locally and hope that it changes globally. But What do you think about internal docs? I, I know this happened at Facebook. I'm sure it's happened at Google. Uh, like People putting together internal docs either anonymously or, or letting people opt into sharing their name that shares, you know, level salary equity and and usually i think the the ones i saw at facebook were like uh the the progression in time from each level to each level uh to provide a little context there and i think yeah what, what do you think of those sort of internal transparencies that people sort of do outside of the i don't know the request of the company no I, I think it's a good idea the problem is inertia right like getting that list started when it's so small that the people who have participated are immediately identifiable, right? Right. But yeah, once there's enough names on there, it's especially if it's not anonymized, it's easier to kind of contribute without being identified if you still want to maintain that privacy. But yeah, I mean, I think this is something that happens that has to happen with the employees. Like, I don't know if a company would ever do this, or at least not a large company. But I don't. I like the idea of it. I think I think it would be better for everybody. Maybe I'll maybe I'll talk to some coworkers. I think you, you just have to get that, that seed round, right? You have to get yeah. that starter right. uh, group I mean, of people who are willing too. to it, contribute. It's, it's scary to be transparent about that. I think it's scary on two sides. Like on one side, you might 
find out that you're making more than coworkers and feel guilty about it. And then yep. there's the other side where you're scared you're going to find out you got fucked. And yep. you're, you know that that feeling would be worse than not knowing. <laughs> Especially if you're currently happy with it, right? If you're currently happy with your money, like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting by, this is, this is all going fine, and everybody else is getting by just fine. Like, oh, they're getting by just fine because they're getting paid a lot more than me. Like, I was happy, but now I'm sadder because I have more information and realize that I'm getting screwed. This is where I, I guess I get hung up a little bit because I think everyone has a different perspective on, on money, and I know that certainly there is inequality that exists in, in pay bans and the way people hire and negotiate. And the way people are handicapped when they come in on level. And yeah, totally. Yeah, there, there's a lot of factors. But I also do think quite a bit about the psychological perception of what is fair versus like what makes you you know happy and comfortable and you could imagine a, a scenario very easily where somebody is making okay let's just say 100k a year and it's more money than they've ever made in their life they're very comfortable they can afford uh, a lifestyle and a home and food and supplies that make them very very happy and then one day some co-worker at their company creates this internally transparent spreadsheet and everyone pitches in and lo and behold this person finds out they are the lowest paid person in their level or, or within uh -huh. their organization or within their you know discipline and now all of a sudden <laughs> this person that was happy feels like shit yep that's what i'm saying and i don't know i guess it's the ignorance is bliss thing i don't know if it's better to be happy and be screwed or to be unhappy and and have the knowledge that you're being screwed mm -hmm. um and and if that like comparative measure of of your life as it relates to your happiness is really what what we should want and then you know i go back and forth because i'm like this is exactly what companies want you to feel the co companies want you to feel the exactly how i've just described so that you just don't ask questions you don't negotiate you don't work your way up i don't know yeah i guess it depends on the company right sure yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of factors, and I, I'm I'm of the mind of that blissful ignorance is is better in this one case. Usually, I'm not. <laughs> I don't. I don't ascribe to that philosophy of uh, stay stupid and happy. But in this particular case, I think I don't know. I think I'd rather not know <laughs> about myself. Although I do want to make sure that I'm accounting for it with where I can control it you know, making it as fair as possible. Yeah. And it, it I suppose it is a, a personal decision for everyone. And if, if someone uh, certainly from a traditionally, you know, unfairly treated group of people wants to know, I think that they should absolutely know. And, and, and transparency is a good thing there. Yeah, I think it's, it, man, it's, I'm like uncomfortable even talking about it. Like even just uh, this conversation makes me uncomfortable. And yeah, maybe that's uh, just a cultural thing. And it's supposed to be that way, because that way. Uh, so I think one of the important things that was pointed out by Morgan to, to bring this back to the uh, start of the conversation is that he pointed out, it is in the company's best interest to pay you as little as they can and still get you. And it's in your your best interest to get them to pay you as much money as they can and still get hired without getting turned away because it's too much money. <laughs> right, right. So you're both trying to find that middle ground without offending each other, right? Because if you're a really good candidate, they're probably just as scared to lose you as you are to scare. You are scared to lose them, right? Right. I, I think being aware of your power position is super important. Of like, how much more do I want to work at this company than they want me to work there? And then 
adjust accordingly. I should call out an article by Patrick McKenzie. He goes by Patio11 on the internet. I'll I'll grab this link uh, for the show notes, but he is a software engineer by trade, uh, but he started several side projects, businesses. Uh, He actually lived in Japan for the longest time. Uh, He might still be in Japan. Anyways, he works for Stripe now. And and he wrote this 7,000-word blog post about negotiating as an engineer. And I think there's a lot of... Car- I've read this whole post. Uh, I, I quite enjoy it. It's very insightful. Uh, and a lot of carryover to designers as well, because I think designers carry a lot of the same credibilities that the engineers do in, in hiring these days. So uh, let's put this link in the show notes as well, Marshall, for people who want to maybe have uh, a more structured approach. He talks a lot about tactics for negotiation. So I'll put that here. Yeah, I'm not going to read that because I plan on never leaving. Yeah, yeah, no point. <laughs> That's my plan. You're good. Just write it. Yeah, just write it out <laughs> until I'm old and gray. Sure. All right. Although that does lead to another discussion that we won't have now, which is aging out of design oh. or, you know, like how many 40 or 50 year olds do you work with, right? Or like, do you see around the office, let alone 60 or 70 year olds, right? Maybe a little cliffhanger for that conversation, Marshall, is are you the oldest designer on your team? Yes, by a long ways. Actually, I think my boss is younger than me (laughs) (laughs) by by like months. Okay, let's talk about that sometime. We should uh, should have uh, a guest on who is in their 40s or 50s to provide some context. All right. So the original impetus for this conversation was Morgan's tweet storm uh, after Google Plus shut down. So we'll have links to all this and all the stuff we talked about in the show notes. Uh, but let's start wrapping up. Uh, did you find something cool this week? I did. Well, it's not from this week, as usually. <laughs> it's not, it's <laughs> we not should recent. Just record, we should record that one little sound bite, and then we can just plop it in every, every episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rigby. Well, it's cool, but it's not but... new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, but not new. Kabin. Kabin. So I'm going to share a little Mac utility. I love sharing these little Mac utilities. And the one I have today is called Yoink. So this is a little, again, it's just a little menu bar thing that sits up in the top. It doesn't have a dock app icon or anything. And what it does is when you start dragging anything, whether it's text or a picture or anything, an existing file, when you start dragging it, it pops out a little window from the side of the window where you can drop these things into. And you can drag uh, entire folders or collections of things or individual items. It will create a little uh, preview of what it is that you've dragged in there. And it stays on top of all of your windows. So as you switch around to different windows, if you're dragging one thing from one place to another, you don't have to do the claw finger hand manipulation to make sure that you don't drop the thing as you're trying to switch to a different app to, to, mm-hmm. to drop it down elsewhere. And I think it's maybe like 10 or $15, but it's super useful. I actually use it to export sketch mocks all the time. So I have it docked to the right side of my screen, which is where your properties panel is. And that's where previews show up if you have uh, an artboard set up to export or anything set up to export, right? So it's right there. All I have to do is just click and drag down a little bit and drop it into this thing. And then I can go throw it into a chat or into a slide or whatever. And it makes it really useful. Another quick little thing is a lot of times I don't necessarily want to export mocks and have it live somewhere in a folder. I just want to get this out so I can paste it in somewhere else, whether I'm sharing it with somebody or again, like a slide. And instead of having to export, what I can do is I can do like an upload from computer or open a file if it forces me to open a file and I can't just paste it in. And I will, you can drag from Yoink into that open dialog into the little finder sheet that pops out from the top of the window. You can drag it into there and it will point to the 
temporary file uh, because when you do drop it into Yoink, it is actually exported. It's it's in a temp folder somewhere, but you can um, drag the file out, drop it into the open dialog, and it will point to that weird temp folder, and you can just drag it in from there, and it's super useful. I went on way too long about that, but <laughs> Yoink is really awesome. It, it increases my productivity a lot throughout the day. I use it constantly. I save at least... 10 seconds daily. Yeah, and also frustration of, like I said, <laughs> if you if you drop it too soon or if yeah, you, you yeah, know, yeah. don't want to have to do the whole juggling issue of Windows, it's a good it's a good little utility. I think it's, oh, it's only $5. There you go. So it's just $5. Totally worth it. Again, this is another one of those little things. I don't think they update it very often, but they don't really need to because it does one little thing and it does that one thing great. There's a lot of customizations you can do about like how it grows and when it shows up and which side of the window it's on. It's nice. I really like it. Highly recommended. Have you heard of this before, Brian? Probably not by the way you laughed at me when I mentioned it before the show. No, no I had not seen it before. Yeah. Do you think you would use this, though? Maybe. I am pretty good with command tabbing. Uh, and then I also actually use hot corners on my Mac uh, if I want to like drag drag stuff to desktop or open windows. Oh, yeah. Up, so. Huge fan of hot corners. Yeah. Hot Which corners... one is your desktop uh, hot corner? Uh, bottom left and bottom right. Oh, really? I do top right. Interesting. You, you know why I do top right? No. It's because your wallpaper, or not your wallpaper, your desktop is top right oriented. Like all of the, like if you only have one file, it will go on the top right of the window. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to have it up there because it's, it's really close nearby. Fitz Law, Brian. Fitz Law. <laughs> Marshall, you're so, you're so thoughtful. Do you know about Fitz Law? No, I don't. Oh, so you just you just laughed and, and agreed, not knowing what I was talking about? Uh-huh. Uh, Hang on, Fitz- I'm Googling. I'm Googling. I'm buying myself time. <laughs> no, I totally know what it is. And it is uh, a thing that I'm going to say here in one second once I finish doing a thing totally unrelated. Isn't it something about a, a, a law that predicts the time required to rapidly move to a target area where uh, that time is a function of the ratio between the distance of the target and the width of the target? Something like that? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty close. <laughs> It's pretty close. So Basically, something, something, I, something, something. If you have your hot corner in the top right, you can drop shit in the top right corner of your desktop faster, mm-hmm. or or drag something from your desktop faster, right? Because because it's the same corner to close to get out of the desktop. Oh, state. you know what, Marshall? That reminds me of Fitz Law. Have you heard of that? <laughs> no, tell me about it. <laughs> is it is it a scientific law that predicts the time required to rapidly oh move God, to a target area? A it's a function loop. of the right. Oh no. <laughs> No, but this is, yeah, basically, the bigger a thing is, the easier it is to hit. The closer it is, the easier it is to hit. And hot corners are a perfect example of that, but but they're a strange exception in that they are only one pixel. Like, the hot corner itself is just the very, very top pixel, or the very corner pixel in each of the corners. So it's super tiny. It's like the smallest it can be. But because the edges of the screen funnel your cursor into that right. corner, it's kind of infinitely large. It almost just becomes a gesture, right? It is a gesture. Yeah, yeah. You just like swoosh hard on your trackpad and it goes, yeah. Yeah, just th- throw the cursor up into the corner or down into the corner. Yep. Which is really interesting. That's, what, that's one of my favorite examples of Fitzlock because it's like simultaneously as small as it can be and also kind of infinitely large. Hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Fitzlaw, buddy. Learn something new every day with you, Marshall. It's it's good design. We should talk about Fitzlaw in, in more detail in a future episode because I have, I have a lot to say about reachability and thumb area and one-handed use and accessibility. Ooh. 
Yeah. Speaking of reachability, I can share my one cool thing. Uh-huh. Okay, good segue. Yeah, segue. My one cool thing is, uh, <laughs> it's not new, but it is cool. Uh, it's called Halide, which is a camera app uh, that was designed by Sebastian DeWith and developed by someone whose name uh, escapes me right now, but it is a camera application, and it's probably the best camera app on the app store right now. I think it's uh, it's better than the the stock camera for, for several reasons, and then worse than the stock camera app for one specific reason. So Ugh, I can't wait to hear. <laughs> this is going to be good. The, also, the, uh, Ben Sandofsky. Ben Sandofsky. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dream Team. The website is gorgeous. The app is gorgeous. The interactions. I, I would actually classify Halide as, as another masterclass in interaction design alongside things. Uh, yep. It is very good. It was designed with one-handed use in mind. So for example, uh, you can manual focus the camera on your iPhone with a horizontal gesture along sort of like uh, just above the shutter button, there's a bar that you can drag to adjust focus. Uh, and then dragging vertically uh, along the viewport of, of where you're actually taking a photo adjusts the exposure. Everything is also in the bottom third of the screen. So all the uh, controls for viewing the histogram, for changing the, the you know, activating depth mode, changing the output format, etc., cetera, uh, is all in the lower third. So it is designed for one-handed use. It works so great. So there's a couple specific features I want to call out that have been super useful. So the first is the use of haptics in the camera, which is a great way to help people know that they're taking a slightly better than average photo by sort of letting the tool tell them when to click the shutter button. So uh, if you are taking a photo, it uses the accelerometer to know when your phone is exactly level, and it gives you a nice click haptic when your phone is is level, and, and I guess that would be properly perpendicular with the ground. However, if you rotate your phone and make it parallel to the ground, it switches so that it becomes uh, sort of a leveler. It uses your phone's accelerometer as a leveler, and it you can align sort of these two bubbles in the middle of the screen, and you also get a nice haptic when your phone is perfectly parallel with the ground. So I use that all the time. The haptic is it's so nice, especially when you're shooting outdoors and it's bright and you can't really see the screen. You know, okay, at least, even if the photo's shit, at least it's level. Uh, so it's a nice uh, mechanism for feedback. Yeah, I love the way this app uses the little, the ears around the notch and combines. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, go ahead. No, I love that. They, It's one of the few apps that actually uses the notch in sort of a unique way, right? Like they have the yeah. uh, exposure that fills up the notch as you drag your finger up and down. And it's got a little histogram. Nestled in there. Yeah, the histogram in the top left. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's using otherwise dead area on the screen for something that you don't need to touch. So it's because it's so far up on the screen, it's good that it doesn't need to actually be interactable, but it's still informational, informative, right. whatever Both. words. All right, you want to hear the one thing that I dislike about Halide? Yeah, I, yeah, I was, I was hoping you'd mention it. Uh, it's actually not Halide's fault. It actually just drives me insane that you can't use it as a default. So uh, the uh, reason that I... This is what I, I was going to bring up. Thank you. You can't use it on the freaking lock screen, which is how 99% of photos are taken, is you see something that you want to take a photo of, tap your screen, and you you know force touch or swipe if you're on uh, a non-iPhone 10, uh, or I guess you swipe on the 10 as well, but uh, swipe to the camera and you want to take that shot super quick, or you control center to camera, and you cannot change the camera app. And so as good as Halide is, I find myself always just defaulting to the stock camera app almost accidentally just 
by yep. the nature of it being accessible from the lock screen. So yep. not Highlight's fault, but it's probably actually from a app developer perspective, I think it's maybe the scariest thing to me is that it's the one thing that they're fighting against is how hard it is for users to get into the product. And I'm actually terrified of Apple just copying a lot of these features and rendering Highlight obsolete. So I don't know how they think about Sherlocking this. them. Sherlocking if, them, if you will. We talked about that last week. Maybe it'd be worth talking to to that team to figure out how they think about that. But uh, that is oh, my fear. A little piece of follow-up. I think I called the third-party app Sherlock before, but uh, when I was talking about Sherlocking in the previous episode. But here's the, here's the funnier reality. I got that wrong. So really, the third-party app was called Watson, and Apple made a first-party <laughs> app called Sherlock to replace it. Oh, How there shitty we go. is that? <laughs> like, there that's even go. worse. Man. Oh, man. Uh, sorry, I wanted to mention that. But no, yeah, good, good this, correction. Th- this is my, this is my uh, one reason that I, I bought this app. I have it on my home screen, and I never use it. And the reason is because it's, it kind of stems from the, the whole that saying of um, the best camera is the one you have on you, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. The the best camera app is the one you can get to fastest. Right. And the I don't know if Apple's intentionally keeping us from uh, choosing a third party to a third party app to replace a first party app. This is something they could totally do OS wide if they wanted to, right? Like I don't ever want to open up Safari. Only give me Chrome or Firefox, or I never want to use the camera. Let me use Highlight or any third party thing. I don't. I want to use a third party alarm clock or whatever. I don't know why they're not doing it, especially on the lock screen. It would be so nice to be able to replace that that camera app down there, the camera button, to go over to another app. There's really nothing keeping them from doing it, other than my guess is wanting people to use the first party thing. Right. Uh, well, until they change that, I guess people can can make that decision. If they want, Halide is great, and props to their team for building pretty incredible software. I bet you could set up a shortcut in the Today view, or whatever it's called, the widget view. Uh, even then, it's the extra hidden thing, especially if you use other widgets that are more important than, than the camera. They do have a widget, uh, which yeah. only has one button to open. So they've thought of this, and it's a good idea. I should actually just try and use that this week. Maybe I'll do the same. We we just we're solving problems, man. We just <laughs> in real so time good. Uh, to the delight of our listeners. I'm, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap up. We don't have any sponsors this week, but we do have a job board at spec.fm/jobs. If people want to either find a job or if your company is hiring, go to spec.fm/jobs. You can list and and see what other people are hiring. So spec.fm/jobs definitely check it out we don't have any sponsors this week and that's a great way to support the spec network in the meantime a huge thanks to sarah and drew for editing and producing and mastering and chopping this podcast up to make us sound way smarter than we actually are mm-hmm. and boy do they boy, boy do they <laughs> boy oh boy you know what i did last week so after <laughs> we finished recording i listened back because i was going to check on the the audio quality throughout and I ended up listening to most of the episode and it was really painful to listen to. And then Drew sent me a bounce of the edited episode, and we sound so much more <laughs> well put together. It's amazing. Uh, we've we've considered everything. We don't have twelve outtakes of this one segment. Cool. Uh-huh. I definitely didn't say uh, something at least one time. Wait, sorry. I definitely here's a. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely didn't say things multiple times in this episode. Absolutely, definitely did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I did that yoink thing like three times. So Sarah and Drew, thank you so much. Uh, If you are wanting more podcasts for your ears, uh, we have... 
ton of shows on Spec Network at spec.fm. We've got shows for designers and developers. Go check out Layout uh, with our good friends Rafa and Kevin. Go check out Love Rafa. Developer T, Fragmented, Swift Unwrapped. We've got lots of stuff. So that's at spec.fm. You can also search uh, our backlog, especially now with Marshall's incredible show notes. Uh, you should be able to search for people, places, things, and come up with episodes that reference those things. So that's at spec.fm. And of course, if you have been enjoying Design Details, follow us on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Leave us an iTunes review. Uh, we're going to be reading those every week and calling out uh, folks who leave us reviews. We really appreciate mm-hmm. them. The feedback we is do. great. But those iTunes reviews just tell Apple that you're listening and it helps uh, us move up the charts, helps new people discover the show, and helps us grow so that we can keep doing this and, and reaching more people and having more fun conversations. So if you enjoy the show, an iTunes review means the world. Uh, otherwise, uh, follow us on Twitter, hit us up on Twitter. And you can hang out with our community at spectrum.chat slash specfm. Alrighty. That was it. I guess that's it. Bye. See you in person next week. Yeah. See you soon, bud. See ya. See ya.